Hey guys. Every week, it's going to be a surprise. You never know what's going to happen in this room, but I, I encourage you to arrive early because we are going to have the privilege of hearing stories of women who have chosen to say yes and, and tell a little bit about their journeys. Um, and as you may have noticed from, from Allison's language, um, when we get to chapter three of Habakkuk, which is so, so cool, but when we get there, you're going to see some language about though and yet. Though I'm going through the things that I'm going through, though I'm watching the world fall apart yet, and that, that, that's where we're going to be. And so you're going to get to see that in each of these stories, okay? So I hope that you will get here early and you will be here with listening ears because I know God has things to say. Um, you're back. It's week two. I'm really glad you're back. Look at each other and say, glad you're back. Thanks, guys. I love when you participate. It makes me feel not so alone. Um, thank you. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Last week we talked about, uh, I, I shared with you a little bit about how the last few years have been a lot of mountains and valleys for me, particularly the last eight months. Um, and I started thinking as I was going through these first 11 verses of Habakkuk, um, just really kind of zoning out a little bit on some of those places that I feel like God was reminding me of. And then my mind started wandering backward, um, and I started thinking about other situations where I was like screaming at God like Habakkuk does. I was like so like confused and not understanding the purpose in what he had going on. I don't know if it, it, it just rang um, true for you too. I, uh, I read this quote recently, and it, it felt like it was something that we needed to hear today. It felt like something I needed to hear um, it was from Paul David Tripp in his, in his book called New Morning Mercies. And, and it goes like this. Listen, if this, if this sounds right for what we studied this week. If you judge God's goodness by the amount of suffering in your life, you will end up concluding that he is not good. If you judge God's love by the degree to which your life is difficult, you will end up thinking that God does not love you. If you judge the faithfulness of God by how much disappointment and grief you have had to deal with, you will end up questioning his faithfulness. Here's the bottom line. You will suffer because your suffering is an essential part of God's good plan for you. How many of us, raise your hand if you love hearing that? You're lying if you're raising your hand. Nobody wants to hear that, right? Allison didn't want to hear that. We don't want to hear that, that part of our journey is going to be suffering, and yet it is. It, it was for Habakkuk too. Like I mentioned, I started thinking back a little bit, thought back in time a bit, and I was thinking to those places where I have questioned um, how a good God could let hard things happen. I have asked him, how in the world can I believe that you're good when you're letting this mess occur, Right? We've all had those moments. It's okay to be honest. I mean, if there's anything we've learned this week, right? It's okay to be honest. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I started thinking back to a time a few years ago. My son, Brayden, he's actually one of the mountaintops of the summer was he got married. And I'll tell you more about that later. But um, back when he was in college, a few of you um, know me, you know about this. He was a mountain bike racer for the for Baylor University mountain bike team. And here's what happened. Okay, so let's say this. It's really hard when hard things happen to you, but when they happen to the people that you love, amen, 
You're like rolling up your sleeves and you're, okay, God, we're gonna, we're gonna wrestle this one out, right? Well, freshman year in college, my son was racing for Baylor University in Austin and um, he had a really bad bike wreck. And God's cool in this way. I was not there because I'm a mom and that would have been disastrous, right? But my husband was there and all I know is I'm waiting for a phone call to hear how he finished and I hear these words, Chris, he's okay, but it's not good. Okay, I like the first part. <laughs> He's okay, right? And so then he starts telling me, we are in the back of a pickup truck on the way to the ER. He, he went over the handlebars face first into to Austin Slate Stone, and um, there's a lot of problems. And so we're headed to the ER. I won't bore you with all the details. But here's what you can know. That accident, my little tiny little newborn baby son, right? College boy, he had a spiral fracture of his humerus bone. And it was about just barely almost coming through the skin. And so in fact, side note, um, some other bikers that were on the path actually made a makeshift um, splint to hold his bones together while they waited. He had his cheekbone fractured. He had his triceps detached. He had his nose broken. He had 20 stitches to put his lip and his face back together. He ended up having a seven-inch titanium plate and 25-ish screws put in his arm to hold everything back together to serve as rebarb while God healed him. But what we didn't know was coming that later that titanium plate would snap in half. And then later another surgery would happen where they'd remove all of the equipment. And then what we didn't know even more was months later there would be a bone infection. So he'd have a pick line. And so what ended up happening to my kid was that one little bike rack that made no sense to me caused him a semester and a half of college and he had to come back home and lay on a couch and be medicated. It was rough, man. I, I mean, it was my kid, right? So it was just not okay. And so God and I wrestled with this a lot. But let me tell you something. This season of, of life for me was interesting because while I was really mad at God and screaming at him, and when I go back and read my journals, I cringe just a bit because I didn't understand how he could let this happen. But what happened in the midst of that was while my son was at home convalescing on the couch, his young life leader would come over and hang out with him, bring him coffee. And they'd have conversations. And they'd talk about his future. And they'd talk about ministry. And they'd talk about all these things. And you know what ended up happening? He ended up going back to college the next fall. And he ended up deciding to do ministry with high school students. He ended up doing young life. He wasn't going to do that before the bike wreck. But here's what's even cooler about that story. You know, I mentioned before there was a wedding. He met the girl that God had planned for him to spend his life with through a young life. I, I, it's interesting. We were, we were at the wedding this summer, and um, as we're standing there watching the beauty in the mountains, I couldn't help but think about all the dark days that I didn't know what God was doing in the meanwhile. Have you ever thought about that before? In those waiting days, in those transition days, in those dark days, in those difficult circumstances, do you know that God is active and alive and working and moving in the meanwhile? You see, for two years, three surgeries and all sorts of heartache, he was working in the meanwhile and we didn't even see it. 
I think about Habakkuk and I think about um, that we have those times, right? He had times where simultaneously things are really dark and hard, but also God is working behind the scenes. Just like a bike wreck that leads to a wedding in the mountains. We get that, right? You get that? You know, there's, it's, it's hard when you're in the middle of it. Because like, seriously, guys, I'm not even joking right now. Some of you knew me at this time. I was a, I'm a little salty. I'm not going to lie. I, I wasn't sleeping a lot. I was like having to be his arms. And it was just a lot. But like in the middle of it all, I didn't see what God was doing. Amen? But here I stand on the other side of the timeline. And I look back and go, oh. My kid has a heart for Jesus. He's serving the Lord. He meets his future all happening at the time. I couldn't see any of it. Well, you understand. We question how sometimes any good can possibly come. Um, we, we, we ask, how long is this going to happen? How, how come? Why? Why is this happening? And that's exactly what Habakkuk was asking God to and we get this vision of the relevant example, and it's almost 3,000 years later, and we relate, right? Well, Habakkuk 1. I had you look at 11 verses this week, okay? That's just a tiny little bit, but there was a lot of things going on in there, wasn't there? Yeah, a lot of things. So there's, there's really kind of two parts, and we're going to roll right through them. I'm just going to read, and we're going to stop, and we're going to talk as we go along. So if you have your Bible, open it to Habakkuk 1. And remember, use what to find it if you're using your Bible? The magical table of contents. Right. Habakkuk 1. Um, you're going to see two things today, I think. I believe. I saw two things today. One, you're going to see that, that God always hears he hears every prayer, every word, every scream, every groan, and also that he's always just. Now, that one's hard to swallow sometimes, right? When you're in the middle of the hospital bed with your kid, and you're watching him be broken into pieces, and you're wondering, how is this possibly part of God's plan? It's really hard to say, God, you are so just and good. Amen? Kumbaya. Let's sing. It's hard. But those are two things you can count on. So look for those as we go through this. Well, like I mentioned before, we're going to look at those 11 verses. And they start out with Habakkuk's plea, his complaint, if you will. And then God answers him, doesn't he? Not the way we thought, right? Not the way Habakkuk probably thought. Well, verse 1, the first thing I want you to do is look at this one little sentence in verse 1. It tells us some things, okay? Verse 1 goes like this. This is a message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. I'm reading from the New Living. Might be a little different than your translation. Doesn't mean it's different or wrong. It just means that some words are slightly nuanced, okay? He says vision. Your translation may say oracle. An oracle. This is something interesting to know about the prophets. Remember I mentioned before, what are the prophets? They're the mouthpiece of God, right? God says stuff to the prophets. They say stuff to the people, okay? So, Prophets, a lot of times, would use these oracles. God would use an oracle, which means it's a vision that they're going to see. So what we can understand from this first intro sentence is that God gave this vision to Habakkuk, this vision of this conversation, so that he could then share it with the generations. Even oracles, even if it doesn't say like the way prophets would always say, like, thus says the Lord. Okay, yeah, duh. It's like God's saying this thing. You guys better listen or things are going to be bad. Okay. With an oracle, it's the same thing in that the prophet isn't acting or speaking independently of God. This is God doing his God thing, okay? He's just using, he's just watching out for you visual learners. That's what he's doing. 
Many oracles contain judgments or threats of judgment or punishment, which we're gonna see. And many oracles are considered a woe, W-O-E, oracle. This one is. You're gonna see that in chapter two where there's cries of lament and distress, okay? The goal, anytime a prophet speaks, the goal is this, that we see true repentance, aka, think about this word. Like Repentance is like a churchy word for turn away from doing the bad stuff and turn towards God, okay? And so that's what the prophets, that's the hope, that's the goal. Well, we move into Habakkuk's complaint in verse two. And it goes like this, how long, oh Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen. Look, I, I wanna go backwards just a second and make sure you're awake, okay? But I'm gonna read it how the punctuation tells us to read it, okay? Here's what the punctuation says. Are you ready? How long, oh Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Anybody? There's an exclamation point there. It's not like he's just saying this all gingerly and sweet and precious. No, he's screaming. Do you scream sometimes? How long? How long, oh Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Agony is real. You know, we see in the sentence this, there's, there's a word cry, and then there's another word cry. In, in my new living, it says call. I call for help. And then it says violence is everywhere. I cry. Yours, yours may say cry twice. You know, it's actually two different words translated in the original Hebrew. They mean two different things. What they mean is that the first is a cry for help, but the second is a scream a cry with a disturbed heart. So see, he's going, he's amplifying this thing. It starts out like, hey God, how long and why are you not? And then he really gets into it because he feels the emotion of it. In verse three, he says, must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight Verse four, the law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts and the wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. He wants relief, right? Here's something we can know. None of this is taking God by surprise. It's not like he's reporting and God's like, oh, wow, okay, Thank you for that. You know, I feel like we do that in prayer sometimes too. Like when we're talking to God and we pull up our chair and we sit there and talk to him, right? When my kid's in the hospital and I'm pulling up the chair, it's like, I'm telling him all the things. Like he needed to go to college. He had friends, he had plans, he had a future and it's broken and he's sad and it's terrible. And it's like God going, hey, I know. Don't you think I know? But that doesn't make it easier, right? Right? And I also think this, I also think this, and I feel like Habakkuk tells us this. It doesn't mean he doesn't want to hear it. Amen? Right? Like if you have, if you have kids, or even if you don't have kids, if you mentor people, if you when you have these conversations where you want honesty, right? Like I want my kids always to be able to come to me and go, hey mom, I need you and I need to tell you all the things. You know, nine times out of ten, I kind of already know, right? Don't you kind of already know? But what do you want? Tell me, just tell me. 
God wants him to complain. He wants him to use the exclamation points. He wants him to accuse even. I know that sounds weird. We're in church. But hey, God is God, and he can handle your accusations. He left this for us for a reason, okay? I'm giving you green light, freedom to tell God all the things. You know, um, just today in our, in our leader meeting, one of our leaders said this. She said during the time when she was watching her husband die, Okay, that she would do all the things and say all the things and pray all the things. And then when everybody would go to bed, she'd go out in the garage and she'd take a, like a, a mallet and like bang on the wood, just bang on things, right? Because that's all she had. I love that. Thank you for that. Because sometimes we need that. We need the rubber mallet, right? There's a scripture in the New Testament that says when we don't have words that the Holy Spirit groans for us. Have you been there? Are you there? It's okay, He hears and he knows, but he welcomes all of it. During this section, we see him ask how long, and we ask him why. How come? Do you think, do you think he really wants to know? (laughs) I thought about that for a minute. I thought, man, in my season, the one that I was explaining before where Brayden was broken into pieces and it just felt like it never ended, I don't know if I would have appreciated on day one in the ER if I would have said, how long? And he would have been like, it's going to be two and a half years. (laughs) I don't think I wanted the answer to that. And then when it got worse, when the bone got infected and another surgery and another surgery and all these things, and now we're worried about his arm. Can his arm even, not does he ride his bike anymore, is he going to have an arm? Do you think God would have wanted me to sit me down in the ER in the waiting room and said, let me tell you, here's what's going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. I don't think so. His ways are are more than ours. He knows things that we don't need to know. Well, in this section, there's a series of word pairs Um, over and over. He's basically talking about his disdain and his disgust with sin. Do we feel the same way? When we look at the world, do we feel the same way? Destruction and violence and arguments and fights and all these things. Are we bothered by this? I know we are in our own lives, in our own bike wrecks, right? We We are in our own worlds. But are we in the world at large? Well, Habakkuk is taking this little section where he's talking about this one people group, God's people that were in Judah. He's talking about them. And now all of a sudden, it's almost like God pulls it back and goes, yeah, let's talk about the whole thing, okay? Are you bothered? Are you disgusted? Are you exclamation pointing about all the things? Well, you're going to see in verse five, he uses um, a word. He's going to call back to this part where we say, verse three, it says, must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Here's how cool God is. God's going to say in verse five, he's going to call right back to that. Okay. Habakkuk's like, why do I have to experience this? Why do I have to see it? Why do I have to do it? Well, he's going to tell us why. Verse four, you see that he gives a therefore. Do you see that? So basically he says, all these things are happening. And he's saying, and and you know what, God, just because you let all that stuff happen, here's what's happening now. The law is paralyzed. There's no justice in the courts. The wicked's outnumber the righteous and justice has been perverted. Again, God already knows all these things, but Habakkuk's trying to sell his point. You see, history lesson. At the time, remember I mentioned before, the northern kingdom has fallen. The Assyrians rule everybody. They're dirty, nasty people, okay? But guess what's coming? Dirtier and nastier. The Babylonians are coming, and they're rising up, and they're going to take over everything. 
The demise of Jerusalem is coming. Okay. There's chaos. There's no law. There's no law that's no longer in effect. There's no maintaining justice. And so again, back to the how long, how come? I don't think he would have liked the answer to that. So I really, really wonder what he expected from his complaint. And so let's see how God answers. Okay. The Lord's reply. Remember I said before, he's always, he's always, he always hears, well, he's always just. And even though this part is bumpy and painful, it's just. He starts out in verse five like this. Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed. For I am doing something in your own day, something you would not believe even if someone told you about it. A couple things about this. It calls back to what Habakkuk just said. Why are you making me see these things? And God's going, hey, why don't you look over here? And see what I'm doing. But you know what's crazy about this verse? I don't know. Y'all, have y'all seen this verse before we did this study? You're familiar with it? You've probably seen it before? Cross stitch on a pillow or something? We take it out of context, don't we? We're like, look around at the nations and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day that you would not believe. And we're thinking, oh, unicorns and rainbows, how wonderful. God's going to make everything right. And then the next verse, he's basically like, I'm raising up the worst of the worst, and they're going to take you down. Enjoy your coffee, right? It's God is so cool like that. I mean, cool, you know, I'm not them. Cool. It goes back to being in the hospital with my kid. Sometimes the how long and the how come are not going to be the answers that I'm really looking for. You know what I really want to hear? Chris, let's do it your way. Amen? I think Habakkuk wanted that too. I think he was basically saying, hey, God, cute. I've got a better plan. And then God rolls through this plan. So listen to this. In verse six, he starts with the wonderful news. I'm raising up the Babylonians. And who are they? They're a cruel and violent people. They're going to march across the world. They're going to conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty. They do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than the wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they will swoop down and devour their prey. I bet Habakkuk's like, okay, so cool. (laughs) That is not what I was looking for. And then God continues. On they come, all bent on what? Violence. Their hordes advance like desert winds, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and they scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against the walls and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and they are gone. But they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. What in the world? Do you wish you could see Habakkuk's face right now? (laughs) He's probably like, never mind. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) I give up. There's so many things going on here, and I'm not going to bore you with these really dark details, but what you can know is this. God is doing something here, okay? All the details are painful, and it's terrible, and there's cheetahs, and there's eagles, and all of that, but listen to me when you, just this one thing. What God is doing is he's giving a revelation, not an explanation. Do you see it? He is a revelation. That means he's giving a new view of God. He's telling them who he is, not explaining what Habakkuk wanted to know. Do you see that? He cares about his complaints. 
In verse five, he gives three imperatives. Mine said, look around at the nations, look and be amazed. ESV says it this way, look among the nations and see wonder and be astonished. He tells him to get your head up and pay attention, right? Side note, um, where else in history do you see God coming in, swooping in, and using really evil, bad things for his greater purposes? Anywhere? Anywhere else? Remember the Sunday school answer? There you go. It's hard for us when we read this, right? And it's hard for us when we sit in our own places of Habakkuk 1 through 4. When I think about sitting in the waiting room at the hospital, when I think about all the different surgeries, when I think about all the different frustrating phone calls with the college about dropping out and coming back and all of it, right? It's just so hard for me to possibly believe that God's going to use something like this for his good. Just so hard. And that's just a bike wreck, guys. I know that you're dealing with much bigger, much deeper valleys. But God uses every bit of it and allows, forgive me for for breaking a bubble here. He knows what you're going through and he allows it. It went right through his hands. Doesn't mean he likes it. I don't read this and think that God's saying, yeah, I like this. I like using the enemies against my people. He loves his people. But here's what you need to know. They were warned, okay? So if you go back to the left side of your Bible, you don't have to, I'm gonna read it to you, but there's a couple places where we go back and we're like, ah, this is why this is happening. In Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 and 41, listen to this. Okay, remember how I told you before Habakkuk knew, knew all the history, the Israelite history of God's people, right? All these people, they didn't have this whole Bible at this point. They only had parts, okay? They had the first five books. So they knew what God wanted them to know about him and his law and his intentions and his perfect, perfect plan. And yet they just kept messing up. And so Deuteronomy tells us that that this warning was given to God's people, the people that will be trampled on by the Babylonians. Listen to this. But if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and you do not obey all the commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. You will have sons and daughters and you will lose them for they will be led away into captivity. See, what, what's about to come is Babylonians are going to come in. They're going to take over, and God's people are going to become slaves for 70 years. It's coming. Second Chronicles 36, 14 through 21, this is another warning. All the officers of the priests and the people, likewise, were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abomination of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers, prophets, okay, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, but they kept mocking the messengers of God and despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. You know what I hear? Um, This is really hard, and and we don't like this, right? We don't like the violence. We don't like the evil. We don't like the cheetahs and the wolves and and the eagles and all the things. We don't like this. But we serve a God who is just, and he's a good dad. He knows what he's doing, you know? There are things in my life that he has allowed that, like, I think back and go, oh, I see now. 
There are bike wrecks that have happened in your life that you can see, oh, he was just being a good father, right? Because sometimes the greatest lessons we learn come from those places, amen? Well, these people are about to learn a really, 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 really big lesson. The problem is not resolved. (laughs) As we wrap up this part, the problem is not resolved. Nothing has changed, right? Nothing has changed. I think back to um, Habakkuk's first question, how long? You know, in the Psalms, um, there's, there's several of these Psalms written by David and other psalmists where they ask the same question, how long? First, um, Psalm 13 is one of my favorite Psalms, but also it's so sad. And here's why. You want to hear what it sounds like? See if it sounds familiar, okay? Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? And the end of that, end of that psalm goes like this though, okay? This is, what, this is why it's one of my favorites. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. That psalm, nothing changes circumstances don't change. Just like this, we see Habakkuk come to him with all these complaints. We see God saying, hey, guess what? It's about to get a lot worse. And then we close the book and we're like, what in the world? This is where we have to put our faith at work, right? This is where we have to trust that he sees and he is just. It's a problem. But God is not indifferent. He's not ignorant. He's not absent. He's here. He has a plan to enact justice and display his character in his own way. And we don't always get to understand. Amen. He always hears you. He's always just to you. Do you feel like that's true? I don't know if you're in the waiting room of a hospital situation right now. I I don't know where, I don't know where, I don't know where you are, but I will tell you this, that, that you can trust that even in the midst of the wars, even in the midst of the Babylonians, even in the midst of the bike wrecks, that God is good and just. Ephesians 3.20 tells us that even in your darkest times, he's working. I heard it explained like this one time, and I always thought, thought about this because it's just a weird way to think about it. But, you know, have you ever been to a circus, like a real live one, where they have like rings and a tent and stuff? Maybe not, maybe just us old people. But if you have... There's three rings. That's like a legit, there really is three rings, okay? But there's a spotlight, and where is the spotlight? It's on that one ring, right? But what if you look in the darkness, in in behind the scenes, right? In the other rings, what's happening? They're getting ready. There's stuff happening, right? They're They're bringing out the elephants. You know, they're stacking up the whatevers. There's things happening behind the scenes that you just don't pay attention because you're looking at the center ring. But meanwhile... There's things happening, getting ready for what's to come. I think about that a lot when I look at these situations in life where I don't understand what's happening. I have to go, oh yeah, there's other rings. There's other things happening. Isaiah 55, eight through nine says this. You've heard this. You may have even read your homework. I can't remember. But I feel like I honestly have to constantly tell myself this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And my thoughts than your thoughts. 
You see, he's working in your meantime. He's in the, in the, the circle, the rings behind the light. Well, like I mentioned, there was a wedding. And it was awesome. And as I'm standing there, and I'm, I'm standing there taking it in, all I kept thinking was, if he hadn't had that bike wreck, I don't think we would be here. I think that that path would have been different. And I, I look at that, and I can see God's fingerprints. Do you see his fingerprints? Psalm 13, the end, but I trust in your unfailing love. I hope that you feel that way today, too. I, uh, I read something at the very beginning, and it was from a devotional that I read this week, which was so funny, right? I love when God does this, because it's like he said, okay, hey, you're going to be thinking about this and trying to reconcile the goodness of God with hard, hard things, and so I'm going to give you this. And so listen to the rest of these words that came along with that first quote, okay, as we close up today. Listen to these words. The moments when life doesn't seem to be working as it should, the moments when you're bitterly disappointed, the moments that you've experienced loss, the moments when unexpected trials have entered at your door and you're not, are not indications of the failure of God's plan. These moments do not depict that he has forgotten you. These moments do not reveal that he's unfaithful to his promises. They do not show you that God has favorites. These moments do not demonstrate that sometimes God doesn't know the answers to your prayers. Here's what you and I need to understand to live in light of this. These difficult moments of life are not the failure of God's plan or in the way of God's plan. These moments are part of his plan. So right now, this life is not a paradise. Right now, God in his grace is working to prepare us through the difficulties of life in this fallen world for what is guaranteed to each and every one of his children. Are you one of his children? Do you know that there is purpose and that there is life in the midst of your hospital waiting rooms, in the midst of your cancer journeys, in the midst of your darkest, darkest valleys? Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean he's going to answer why or how long. It just means that you can trust him. I want to think, I want you to think about something. This week, I challenged you last week to pray for seven days. Did you pray for seven days? That was really quiet. <clears throat> anyway, it's okay. It's between you and your God. <laughs> no, I want to challenge you with something else to do for seven days. Okay. Really? It's just really, really complicated and hard. It's not. Where are the places that you can look backward? Maybe it's not this season right now, because I'm telling you, when I was in the middle of it with my kid in the hospital, I didn't see God as clearly as I see him now. Where are the places that when you look backward, when you remember that you see God's fingerprints? You maybe didn't even know that that was him. Little tiny baby things. Allison made reference to a few of them, right? Like he gave her the strength and the life and this journey of health for so many years. She didn't know what a gift that was, right? But she can look back now and see it. What are the fingerprints? Where are the places that God is so very present, even in those dark places? Write them down. Write them down in your journal. Think about them. Talk to him about them. Because remember, you don't have to understand to trust. And sometimes we just don't. Amen. 
Well, I'm excited that you get to go talk through this a little bit with some of your own personal stories because I have a feeling he's got a lot to show you about who he is, how he hears you, and how he is just. So will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that um, this, this, these little parts of scripture are not easy, but we can always trust that you're unchanging, that you're always powerful, that you're always present, that you care deeply, that you cry with us, that you laugh with us, that you, you, you all the things, it's just, we, we, we are the ones that move away from you, so forgive us for that. Father, I, I ask today that, that these words, Habakkuk's plea, Habakkuk's complaint, but also your answer, remind us that sometimes we don't get the answers we want, but we can trust you. Father, we don't always understand. Show us the places that we need to lean into you more. Show us the places when we look backwards where we can see you. Um, Lord, um, we love you so much. We know you sent your son here to this earth to die by the hands of, of unfair people and circumstances for our good. Thank you. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.